1: I don't think you should use that word, because to me, networking seems like you're kind of begging. But I know at the end of the day, if there's something in that film that I'm not happy with, I'm the one that's got to live with it. They don't look as you've seen them on TV. I don't want to say any names, but there's one model that comes to mind straight away, and she's like, national sweetheart, we all love her. She's very shy. You know, for me, for example, when I'm working with somebody who really understands those things, it's kind of a blessing and a curse.
2: Hello, Alec. It's so amazing to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you for coming. And people may not know who you are, but I feel like you're one of these people who are the movers and shakers behind the scenes that everybody who needs to know will know, but maybe mainstream people wouldn't know. So I'd love you to like give yourself a little intro. Okay. Share your title. (laughs)
1: Okay. Well, thank you for having me here. Thank you. So... My name's Alec and my work is called Clos Films. As Cross Films, I'm a director and editor of video content. I also have a title at British Vogue, which is digital creative director at large. So mostly what I'm working on is video content and a few other things as well.
2: I just love like the. the it's a very nice, like humble introduction. And I think you're doing absolutely amazing. And I think Where I first found you was or was introduced to you was when we actually worked together um, behind the scenes at British Vogue, which for me was a very scary encounter. I was so nervous and terrified. And I then found out that you were basically the man behind the scenes who made so much of the magical video content that's gone out with the likes of Rihanna, Taylor Swift. You've done so much creative with like these fabulous people and just made amazing visuals. Like, how did you get into doing this and what was that process like?
1: Thank you so much. So I feel like my journey has been since I was a kid, really. I was always obsessed with fashion and imagery as a kid. I was very creative. I was very kind of stood out in my little town up north as, you know, like a gay kid or creative kid. So I didn't really fit in. In my town, I just use creativity to, you know, occupy myself. So I was always obsessed with fashion and with imagery, and um, I feel like there was not really a starting point for me. It was, it was always there. And through school, I was obsessed with art, and then into college, and then went to study fashion, and it just, it just kept evolving really. So I don't think there was a start point. It, w- it was always there.
2: So, but you grew up in the Wirral. Can yeah. you just give a little description of the idea
1: of, of what the Wirral is? There's some really nice areas on the Wirral. There's some areas that are not very nice. Mm-hmm. I'm from the not very nice area. Um, so yeah, it was just, you know, my town, Ellesmere Port, it was an industrial town back in the day. But, you know, by the time I was growing up, the industry there, a lot of it had closed down. So it was pretty dead, the town. You know, my dad was very macho. He had a bunch of brothers. It was a very macho environment. Or, you know, the the idea of a, of a male there was a very masculine idea. And me, as a creative kid who wanted to tell my sisters what to wear, tell my girlfriends what to wear. So I I stood out like a sore thumb, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: What I think of it, I think of rolling countrysides and like, Game of Thrones, I don't know, something very random. But do you feel like that environment, because there wasn't much to do, would have fostered like even more so, more creativity and allowed you to kind of hone in on your skills?
1: I think so, because I was hiding for the most part. I was hiding at home. I was hiding at school. I was hiding, you know, all the time, basically. Because it was just easier to hide than go out and, you know, be called all kinds of names.
2: So you have built your career in the world of fashion. And um, how did you know, like, the pathway to get there? Did you know the pathway to get there?
1: I knew that it was something in fashion that I wanted to do. But, you know, I kind of went on a little journey to get to filmmaking because I studied fashion design Mm -hmm. at university. And then... After I graduated, I spent a few years. I was lecturing at university in fashion and I was designing and I was also, um, involved with, you know, I wrote a few things for magazines. I was in, I would work sometimes as a producer on shoots. So I kind of like did a bunch of things. Design was what I did mostly, design and lecturing. And then... I was working in London full-time as a designer Mm -hmm. and video at that point was a hobby for me and I started making um, some films and putting them online and they were getting a bit of a reaction and I was just falling more and more in love with this hobby than my day job as a designer. And I was kind of weighing up some... Um, pros and cons of my day job, my hobby, and I got to a point where I felt like my heart was in my hobby, and I decided to jump. So I had like you know a pretty comfortably paid design job, and I jumped into filmmaking, and I just knew that I would find a way. Yeah. Basically, I want to
2: navigate like that a little bit more. So you were a lecturer, mm-hmm. like, which is like a a career kind of job?
1: It was good. It was a part-time lecturer. So it wasn't that I was like uh, employed as a lecturer. I would get an hourly rate for lecturing. Right. Which was actually probably more money than what the full-time lecturer was on. So financially, when I was lecturing, it was pretty decent. Yeah.
2: Okay. So you were lecturing, designing and doing other things at the same time, because really that's about navigating like your passion. Yeah your interest in actually how to make a living as well. Do you think that people need to be able to um, balance multi multiple things, even if it isn't their love, just to kind of get by in a way?
1: I think it's pretty typical. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to, you know, grow into a creative field, you probably need something to support you financially. But it wasn't just a financial thing for me. It was more, it was also that I just wanted to do these things. I wasn't really ready to commit to one thing until I, you know, settled into Kloss. So yeah, it was kind of like trying to figure out what you want to do, trying to narrow down like all of these things I enjoyed. But really, in a way, it wasn't really narrowing down. It was just finding a place where I could make, you know, find a place where I could do everything I liked, basically.
2: Yeah. So KLOS was, was it a dream? Was it like, right? I want to create like a production studio. I want to make films. Was you very clear on that in the beginning, or did you realize, oh, I actually love filmmaking and actually this is in the industry I care about? And it kind of was a bit more. uh...
1: Um, Basically, one of the things was that I wanted to name my work something rather than it just being my name. Mm -hmm. So I wanted a word that I could call my work. And that's why I started to call my work plus. Because in my work, I. You know, I'm pretty fearless and hardworking. In my personal self, I'm pretty quiet and pretty, you know, shy. And I don't really need, you know, the eyes on me for my personal self. Yeah. So I wanted to find like an alias or a way that we could call my work one thing and I can continue to be myself and it's not really about me. So that's why I took the name Klaus and then... Now, what KLOS is, is it's not really what I set out to do in that, you know, I didn't think, you know, I would build somewhere where I can make films and grow a community. Like that all happened more organically. It was more that I just wanted to be able to hide behind a name and kind of separate, you know, these sides of myself, which are like, you know, fearless at work and quiet at home.
2: What does CLOS stand for?
1: So the name actually came from Carly Kloss.
2: Okay. Yeah,
1: and when I started to call myself Kloss is actually when Carly was uh, in her first season in New York. So she was a new, a new face. And uh, I was looking for a word that basically had little fashion connection, but at mm-hmm. the same time didn't really mean anything. And with Kloss, I thought that was perfect because as a word, I really liked it. And then, you know, when people kind of like Kloss, I'm like, yeah, like Carly Kloss. It kind of just had enough that I could quickly, you know, make somebody remember it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I took it from Carly and at the time I spoke to Carly about it.
2: Yeah. Just casually having a chat with Carly class Well,
1: <laughs> at that time I was filming a lot backstage at the shows. So God. I would see Carly around a lot and um, I spoke with her about it. She was very cool. She also wasn't, you know, this kind of amazing, savvy, supermodel, businesswoman that she grew into. She was. A baby also. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that helped in that it wasn't like I was trying to take something that she built or something, you know. So she was always very cool with it and it is what it is. And then over the years, Carly and I, you know, we've, um, we've worked together on some projects um, and she's always been very supportive.
2: And it's like quite crazy for say other people to hear, oh my, wow, you know, Carly Kloss. And I think now I found this within the fashion industry that a lot of people are friendly with each other and actually have great community and network based on the years of working with each other. Did you find it hard to kind of get to know models and designers? Was that something that just came naturally after time?
1: Um, Well, for me to get, you know, when I work with Carly or, you know, anybody... I don't really feel like I'm trying to get to know you. I feel like I'm there to do a job. But it's more like, you know, I'm going to deliver, you're going to deliver, let's do it. And, you know, let's make what we can make. That's more, and then, but over the years, when you see the same people, you work with the same people, and that's how, you know, you get this kind of camaraderie and um, relationship. But when I'm at work, I'm not really trying to make friends. You yeah. know, the the, ta- the two times we've worked together, It's being like, you know, we're both there to work and then organically you become comfortable and closer. But I don't feel like I go to work trying to make a friend.
2: Do you think that's the reason why you've done well? Because there is no airs and graces. You're on job and I think people love to see people who are on job and actually want to have like connection with them.
1: I always want whoever I'm working with to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I always want to do everything I can to, you know, make it look as good as possible and make it as smooth as possible. But I don't, I don't think that's friendship. Mm -hmm. I think friendship is like, is very different. Mm
2: -hmm. So would you consider yourself to be anti-networking?
1: I don't like the word networking. Yeah. And one of the reasons I don't like it is because I feel like networking, like if I, if I, you know, some people, young people that I speak to, they say I've been networking. And I always say, I don't think you should use that word because to me, networking seems like you're kind of begging where I think just because you're young you still have something to bring to you know this situation so by saying networking it sounds like you're reaching to me whereas don't look at it like you're reaching like you need to find something that values you and is good for you but I think by saying networking you kind of make it sound like you're the one Mm -hmm. that's not really you know that you're the one kind of looking for something Whereas I like to think of it like you both have something to offer. Mm-hmm. So it should be more of a connection than a network, I think.
2: That's actually pretty uplifting to someone who actually may think that they need to network, but actually what they need to do is see the value in themselves yeah. and how they can deliver it yeah. to someone else.
1: That's what I, I prefer that than networking. I don't like the word networking.
2: Another question is, how did you get in? So someone might ask, how did you actually get in to a fashion show? Yeah. If, if you didn't have a network or yeah. if no one knew you how would well, they I did, have access
1: I already did have some connections at that point so when I was studying and I had my year placement I came to London and you know I met my people as people say so by the time I got to that point I already had connections mm-hmm. and the connections that I had you know I was able to get into fashion shows it was also you know quite a long time ago backstage at shows, is kind of different. It's a lot harder now. Yeah. It's a lot more people shooting and, you know, it's a whole thing. But this is like pre-social media, basically. Um, so I would have connections that would get me into a fashion show. And then what I would do is um, I would offer like videos to people like models.com Um I would make a lot of videos for them. They were unpaid. I would get the access into the show Mm -hmm. and then I would just deliver and I would deliver and deliver and just make so much content, you know, what's considered editorial content, which means you're not getting paid. Yeah. and You know, it's costing me actually to make it because I'm getting myself to to Paris, to New York. And so, you know, I had jobs that were paying me, Mm -hmm. design jobs and, Things so I was making money and then I was spending money on doing the things that I loved, basically.
2: I need to explore this further because I think this is a a discussion that is a little bit controversial today, yeah. So there's always a discussion. I still do it today, you still, yeah, you still do work.
1: I still basically from today, I make money from film and I spend the money I make on film on merch and gift the merch and through the merch kind of, you know, building a community, Mm -hmm. but I still do it today. I still spend money that I make to do things that I love.
2: Is that just because of the love of it? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. But the the discussion now though, is there's a lot of arguments around unpaid internships and asking people to do stuff for free. And it sounds like, you know, you would work one job work another job to basically cover the cost of that other job Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that that is um, something that was super valuable for you and should people do
1: that now I mean if you can do that then it's amazing but I know that you know not everybody can do that so it does limit you know who can get in but you know I came from zero so I don't think I came from too much, you know, financial privilege and I think through working, you know, all kinds of jobs, I was able to have enough comfort to be able to spend on what I needed to spend. And also, you know, even when I started getting paid better for film work, the budget wouldn't be great and by the time, you know, I would get like equipment that was probably more expensive than I should have. I would bring in a, you know, another shooter and I would probably spend all the money on the, on the, on the job mm. or even more money than what I would make. I would spend on the job just so that I could deliver it in a way that I felt, I felt good about.
2: I feel like that's a creative things. I've seen a lot of people, even, you know, doing this, right? Not, not the details, but I'm spending a lot to do it because I yeah. just want to do it and i want to do it really well yep. so it's like an investment that feels really yep. good for me like maybe just stroking my own ego i don't like, i don't know what that maybe, is it's like, i just want this to be fabulous for
1: me for me it's like you know for example i could be on set on a, like directing something and there might be 50 people on set but i know at the end of the day if there's something in that film that i'm not happy with i'm the one that's got to live with it and all those 50 people have gone home, they've moved on to the next job and I'm laying in bed like, oh shit, it's just like, you know, something wasn't right. So I just take that onto myself and I, you know, want to deliver something every time that I'm happy with.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. I just have a personal question to ask. How okay. did you find shooting with Rihanna? Because I'm a fan. <laughs>
1: um, so I shot with Rihanna twice, actually. Oh, okay. Um, the first time it was, what? I was asked by Rihanna's people was for it to really not feel like a set for it to just feel as casual and kind of candid as possible so the way that I prepared for that was you know we kind of had beautiful setup and the crew and everything but when Rihanna walked into the room they she didn't see any of that everything, wow. everything was kind of hidden um, and all Rihanna saw was myself and then Edward who... Um, she had the conversation with on camera. It was a very limited time that we had together. I think it was like maybe 30 minutes or something. So we'd had a long time to prep, leading up to the shoot. And on the day of the shoot, uh, you know, we we're very well prepared so that when Rihanna came, we sat down, they did the conversation and then she left basically.
2: I love that. That is like so crazy. And I can imagine like Rihanna has this vibe of being very like, Casual, fun, free, and that's what she wanted. She wanted to not see any cameras so she could probably be her real Mm -hmm. full self, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We've got a line here where, like, when you fail to prepare, or fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Are you kind of obsessed with preparation? Yeah. Like, explain that, break that down for me.
1: Um, So, I just want to, you know, I just want to get there on the day and know that I've had the right conversations with Everybody, all the creatives creatives involved, all the people on my crew, the production, happen often for me where you get 15 minutes with the talent. So there's absolutely no time in those 15 minutes to be trying to figure anything out. When the talent comes for those 15 minutes, everything's perfect. Everybody's chill. Even the studio is tidy. Like, you know, there's no drinks laying around. Even to those level of details, like I don't want anyone to walk in and be distracted by anything other than like take a seat here and this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a lot of preparation and a lot of organization and um, communication and people, but it's just part of the job and um, it's essential to know that you're ready to go. Makes sense.
2: Yeah. Do you feel like the fashion industry is as ruthless as it appears to the outside world?
1: I think any industry is ruthless. I don't know any other industries as well as I know fashion. But, you know, I imagine every industry is ruthless. Especially, you know, I think probably financial industries and business is, is it must be ruthless. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think any industry is ruthless. If you're not delivering, if you're not, you know, professional, but if you are those things, then, you know, you can make a, you can make a, a career for yourself.
2: So actually, I'm going to do an eye shaker. All right. So these are questions, mainly around money, <laughs> to prompt discussion. Why do you think people are uncomfortable when it comes to talking about money in the fashion
1: industry? I think people are uncomfortable to talk about money because it's, there are, you know, such a huge scale of money that people are making from zero to a lot. Yeah. So that is probably part of the reason. And then I also, in something in me is kind of like, you know, talking about people's money is, um, I don't know, it's a little uncomfortable for me, but in that it feels pretty private. I'm, I'm somebody that doesn't want to go too, too deep. You know, for example, the people that work with me, I don't really ask them many personal questions. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're comfortable with what you're being paid to be here, and you've agreed on that, and I'm comfortable with what I'm being paid to be here, then I don't really feel like I'm going to ask you, you, you I don't really want you to ask me, and, you know, I'm okay with that.
2: Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Now, actually, if you were comfortable, uncomfortable, even if there's a big disparity, you're happy, I'm happy. So we don't really need to have that discussion, especially if it might cause tension or something, which you probably don't want on set. What is one of the most surprising things you found of working with huge celebrities and or
1: influencers? Okay, with celebrities, what I think is interesting is they, um, firstly, you know, when they arrive, they might, you know, we won't have hair and makeup, might have got off a flight. They don't look as you've seen them on TV. Whoops. But no, that's just a human thing. <laughs> in a good way. That's a human thing. Yeah. And part of my job is to get them to feel like they do in those images. Yeah. So it's like that person is a human. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get home to their kid. They're tired. They're a human. And between them and myself and the whole crew, we're going to make it work for them. Yeah.
2: So do you think everybody has a moment where they feel a bit uncomfortable in front of the camera where yeah. they're like, oh, like, Ugh. yeah."
1: I don't want to say any names, but there's one model that comes to mind straight away and she's like, you know, national sweetheart. We all love her. She's very shy mm-hmm. and very almost uncomfortable. Wow. And, you know, the camera loves her, but she has a tricky history with the camera. So there's a lot of things that is on her mind when she's sat there in front of the camera. And I feel like a lot of people who are in front of the camera are not always as comfortable as they look. Yeah. Because the camera loves them.
2: I have one story. I can name drop. I know you can't. But with, I met Mariah Carey. Oh yeah? And we did a like, we were doing photos together. And firstly, she's absolutely flawless. Flawless. But I remember her being so good with finding her light. Mm. like she's like where's the light honey where's the light and like people came and got the light and I remember her being like everybody get this light in right and she meant it in a really positive way and she even meant it for me she's like Patricia you've got to be lit well you need to look good all right make sure that people like you in an effective way so it's really interesting to see how much they cared about that yeah. to make sure that they felt comfortable to be their best version of their self and how important it is for them and how they kind of turn up
1: it is important and it's, you know, when, when you're in front of the camera like that and you understand it, then it's, you know, for me, for example, when I'm working with somebody who really understands those things, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. Because oh, yeah. firstly, it's great to work with somebody who knows those things, but at the same time, it can be quite intimidating from my side
2: right. to have
1: somebody who kind of knows what's good for them.
2: Okay. And you might want something different for them.
1: Or I always want the best for them, okay. but it might be different than how I saw it. Yeah. So so I would always change to be, you know, how you feel comfortable. Ideally, we've had that conversation beforehand, but if, okay. it, if it comes to it that we haven't had a conversation until right now, yeah. then um, then I would accommodate yeah. what, they, what they would want, basically.
2: And what's the craziest thing that you've seen requested on set?
1: I actually can't think of any because I don't think it's crazy. If that's what you need, then let's do it.
2: Any request is a good request.
1: But but saying that, I can't remember accommodating anything that felt, you know, out of the ordinary. I don't think it's ever been requested. Okay.
2: So you have obviously prepared a lot and I feel like your career looks like it's been a bit of a straight line. Mm-hmm. It's been like quite magical. Has there any Has, has there ever been moments where things haven't gone quite right, or where you even felt like you wanted to give
1: up? I never felt like I wanted to give up. So even in the moments where, you know, I didn't have a project that I was happy, you know, excited about, I never, I've never, i never felt so far like giving up. And that's one thing that I know means I'm doing the right thing. So, you know, I felt very impatient at times that I didn't have the right camera or the right job or, but I've never felt like it's not for me. I've always known, even in the moments where I felt low, I've always known like, I'm going to make this happen. There are some lessons that, you know, changed the way I see things. There was a moment, um, it was a long time ago. It was about maybe eight years ago. And up until then, like most of the things that I'd shot had been this kind of BTS feeling. So I would not really need light. I would just kind of capture what was happening. And then I went on to this job where. Um, two things went wrong. Firstly, the communication leading into it must have been wrong because I arrived there not knowing what they expected of me. I thought I was just doing my little BTS thing and it is what it is. What it is. It's what I do. But what they wanted was something more like for me to capture what the photographer had captured in motion. Um, but I didn't have light with me basically. So when it came to my moment, to capture what the photographer had captured. Also, the photographer's there with a whole team of like, you know, mm-hmm. 10 assistants, a crew, and I'm there by myself yeah. without a light. Yeah. And it was a disaster. And I know after that shoot that the the, the client had to reshoot the video element, <clears throat> which is obviously, you know, it's pretty devastating when you want to deliver and you don't. But from that shoot, what I, you know, took away after I'd Digested the embarrassment was firstly, make sure I communicate going into the job exactly what you need from me. And secondly, be prepared. And, you know, I didn't have the light that I needed then. And now, you know, since then, I've been prepared, I've been over prepared every Mm -hmm. time. So it's tough in the moment. But once you really make a mistake that you don't want to do again, it can kind of actually be kind of a milestone for you.
2: Yeah that sounds insane and i think from listening to you you seem really like you're in your dream job you're doing what you want to do you're really intentional about your career and every like step that you've taken and you know being ups- maybe upset by the fact that they had to reshoot it's more like an ego thing and that yeah. like you could have done better yeah where do you get that personal like sense of drive from
1: you kind of have to fall in love with it mm-hmm. to make it come to life so you have emotion attached so then when it doesn't work out you know it feels you have to process it yeah so yeah I just want it to be good
2: yeah
1: I also really want the talent to like it that's that's more so what is on my mind obviously I I need the client to like it too but the the talent is more like who I'm focused on primarily and then and then the client because i want the talent to like it. i feel like if the talent likes it then then it's then it's good basically.
2: Yeah. I love that. They
1: they haven't been compromised. Yeah.
2: I appreciate like creating with people who are actually thinking about that as well. So, thank you <laughs> thank you very much on a personal note. How is life with Edward and marriage?
1: Um so marriage is good. Life with Edward is a roller coaster. <laughs> um but it's a roller coaster that we've been on together for a very long time what's good about our relationship is that we both um you know give everything to our work mm-hmm. and there are a lot of kind of crossovers within that which you know work well together when we met to where we are now you know a lot of things have changed but in a way it's kind of it's very similar in some ways because From when we met, it was all about like creativity. Let's do this. Let's do that. And we, you know, researching and planning things creatively together and, you know, soundboard for each other. And
2: I I, I should have explored this more. This is, we might have to do this again because we had a discussion previously about people working together Mm -hmm. in relationships. So you do work together on a daily basis or once in a while you come back to each other with ideas?
1: Um, I think right now, we work together less mm-hmm. than we have at other times. I think, and all, but the thing is actually, it's, it's it was never really work. Because it's, you know, research, ideas, creative thinking, speaking... You know, researching, that's kind of like just the bond that we have from yeah. from day one. So that was like this energy that we have. And somehow at one point, it kind of felt like we were almost working together. But really, it's not. It's just that we kind of is mm-hmm. because we're both just working really hard. And um, But then at times when we've kind of considered like we're almost working together, then we've kind of tried to step back a little and find just a comfortable ground. that mm-hmm. So right now, you know, like, there'll be some videos that I'll make that Edward will be in and many projects that I'm making that Edward is not in. So, you know, Edward's working on so many things that don't involve me and vice versa. And it's just, it is what it is, really. Yeah.
2: Do you think it's easier to grow together? Because I work with, well, I I worked with my husband and eventually we were like, no, we we can't work together regularly. Um, But he does his own projects and I, I do my own. But I did find that when we worked together, we were able to achieve a lot
1: more. I mean, yeah, we've achieved a lot together. And I think we always will. And we both support each other. But it's also important that we both have time where we're just completely doing something that doesn't relate to each other so that when you come home that night, it's not about the project every night.
2: Yeah, I get that. Do you believe in work-life balance?
1: Um, I do. And it's something that, you know, moving forward, it's more important to me. But for many years, it was work. And, but you know, I was very lucky that my partner was the same mindset so we could both give everything to work and just being together was kind of like the life balance side of that.
2: How do you remain calm under pressure during times of stress?
1: Um, this, I don't know the answer to but somehow I do. But I think it's just, I don't know, I think it's in my nature to be calm.
2: Yeah, I could tell you've got that. Maybe it's the we're all
1: I don't know if everyone from the world is calm. I don't think so. But I don't know what it is, but I'm a calm person. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
2: Love that. What's something you really value that is a non-negotiable for you?
1: Um, non-negotiable. Um, it's not really money, but it relates to my projects. but I want to edit. I won't do it if I'm not editing.
2: Really?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. That's why you asked who's editing this movie.
1: <laughs> but well, when I asked, I meant was it you or oh, was yeah. it the, was it the was it the crew?
2: They're the dead. Okay. I'll be on it though, okay. and you you know what you want as well. Like mm-hmm. you can see it in your head. We had this chat before, isn't it? And what do you want to make more time for?
1: I want to make more time for myself. Mm-hmm. And over the last year or two, I've put a really good team in place at Gloss, which means that you know this kind of work-life balance. I'm able to go To the trainer, go to the Pilates class, go and get my hair cut in work hours if I want to, so that I kind of feel like, you know, in the moment when it's stressful, I think that helps you to feel calm. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on just looking out for myself a little more, being kinder to myself. And, you know, now that I have this team, sometimes I rem- like remember this feeling of like anxiety or stress, you know, like when you get this email, when you get this deadline. But I still remember, I still have the stress for a moment. And then I remember, oh, just forward it to Tom. Just mm-hmm. forward it to so, people. So yeah, by putting people in place, then uh, I'm able to free a little more time for from, from myself.
2: Yeah, I love that. It's about having a great community around you. Like yeah. that's so imp- powerful, especially when it comes to work stuff. Well, I love that. And I actually following on from that, what is next for you? What are you up to?
1: So for... Um, 2023, I think what's really important for Kloss is that I just can continue to build the infrastructure of Kloss. It came this far um, with me being a creative person. And now I really feel like it's time for me to look at the structure of the business, basically. And, you know, the next person on the team will be some kind of business person rather than another creative. And I think that's, you know, I think it's time that I looked at the business side of things mm. more. And then, you know, as also at Kloss, you know, um, kind of narrowed, kind of figured out that what I'm doing there is like five things, basically. So there's the film, and then there is the merch, then there's the community, yeah, and there's live experiences, and there's creative studio. And all of those five things are really what make Kloss and... 2023, just working on all of those five areas all at once, basically.
2: I think we can wrap up. I think it was amazing to have you on and get your insights. And I know sometimes money makes people squirm. So thank you for accepting us having this discussion.
1: Well, my um, pleasure. And, you know, obviously when you asked me to do this, I was very happy even knowing that money talk is a little out of my comfort zone or whatever. But I was very happy to be here with you long you. before we worked together. I had seen you on YouTube and I just, you know, instantly connected to your content back then. And yeah, I'm just happy that from me seeing you on YouTube, that, you know, later we got to work together and now it's, you know, it's a privilege to
2: be here. Oh, appreciate it. Thank you so much. And every time I've seen you and we've connected, you've just been so amazing and Mm -hmm. I'm like wow it's just really cool people and it opened my eyes to this world a lot more that it's less scary than I think I thought it was so yeah
1: thank you where can people find you? Um, well they can find me um, on social media
2: (laughs) come on can you shout yourself out please? come
1: on I'm obsessed with Instagram you can find me on Instagram the handle plus plus films (laughs) trying to get my head around TikTok yeah it's good um, so you can find me there you can also find me at the gym you can find me at Pilates oh class. Pilates you can, how's, yeah.
2: how's your journey
1: very good I was there today oh, yeah. Um, so yeah you can find me if you if you need me if you need
2: it you only want the right people to find you in it I love that I love it well thank you for coming on Alec thank you so much all right appreciate it all right